0: Uh, well, you might like to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're continuing our series in Romans. We're starting at verse 12 today. Uh, but as we come to this passage, I want to want to get you to think about a bit of a paradox. Uh, you may have heard the song. You may know how it goes. Uh, we are one, but we are many. Which is it? Are we one or many? Like one thing isn't lots of things, is it? Lots isn't one. I, I, I was a math teacher. One is one. Many is not one. We are one, but we are many. It's the nature of how we live our existence, isn't it? There's a sense in which we are individuals, but we also are collective. Uh, you know this, and we use it, we, we operate this way all the time. If I ask you, how did we play last night? How did we play last night? You might say, disappointing. You might say, maybe we played bravely. And yet, was anyone here involved in that? In that game? No? See, where we're won. Australia played last night. We lost. Sadly. We lost. And yet, did you lose? Did I lose? Well, no. Did I play? No. Did you play? As individuals, we didn't play there was a couple representing us. But as as the nation, as Australia, we play. And we we work this way all the time. We work corporately together as one. Um, it's, It's built into our language. And it's especially the case when it comes to being represented. When we operate as one, we obviously all can't always be involved. And so we have... Representatives like the 11 on the field who are representing Australia, operating in our place, playing as us. And even in the the case of a sports match, you have the extended example of at the beginning of the game, they have the coin toss and the captain represents the team that represents everyone. Sometimes where we as, as a big collective group are represented by just one person. And the decisions of one person affect us all. Whether they choose to go with the wind or against the wind in the first half, that can affect the outcome of the game. We don't all get to make that choice. Now, we do this in a thousand different ways, don't we? We operate with representatives on our behalf. Um, yeah, Here's a picture that shows how this happens. So one person... He's responsible for making decisions for the rest of us. This is our parliamentary system. We, we vote. We choose people to represent us. We have our local representative who makes decisions for us. It works this way in families where parents make decisions for the whole family, for the children. They make decisions about what life is going to be like, where they're going to live, what they're going to do with their time, what they spend their money on. Usually, children aren't involved in that decision-making process. The representative parents, adults make those decisions. This is this is normal, isn't it? And yet there gets points where we're uncomfortable with it. Uh, we, we're used to it and it, the world has to operate like this um, because of this tension to be us being one collective and also individuals. But our society, and particularly modern society, where there's an increasing focus on us as individuals and our individual identity, we get less comfortable with our corporate identity, less comfortable with people making decisions for us. Uh, That's why the government a couple of years ago didn't simply make a call and a decision on changing the marriage act. They thought it was necessary to get everyone to have their say. They weren't willing to act as our representatives in that case because we are increasingly uncomfortable. With that. You know, with the media, there's an increasing analysis on all the decisions made and there's more accountability for how our representatives are acting and there's, there's good things about that. But it means that increasingly... We think of ourselves as individuals. We find it hard when others make decisions and decisions we don't like as our representatives. Um, As we turn to Romans 5 today, this is is exactly the situation Paul is talking about. The reality that we are one and yet many and that we are represented by one man, Paul is going to talk about. One man acting on our behalf, making the decision that affects us. Well, actually, I say one man. And he's going to say one man a lot, one person, but there's actually two. He's going to tell us about two lots of one man representing people. If that's confusing, maybe we'll become clear as we as we get into it. So let's, uh, let's turn now uh, to the passage and... Let's read. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, Uh, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as, Adam, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came Yeah, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, there's a lot in there. There's a lot going on. And... Paul is weaving together a lot of these cause and effect chains uh, and giving us subtle nuanced variations of them to make some things clear. Uh, But before we dig down into it, we want to see clearly what's going on. Paul is saying that we as the whole human race have been represented by one man. To start with, that's right back at the very beginning. Verse twelve: Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sin. One man, the man Adam, sins, and through him death enters the world, and therefore all of humanity, all of humanity, now have a world that is stained by sin and that is marred by death. One man's decision as the representative of us all affects everyone. We didn't all get to be in the garden and being that world before sin that Adam did. But we all experience the outcome of his failing now you might think this isn't fair and why should sin come to all of us just because of what he did well it's not fair that we lost last night even though I didn't get a chance to kick a goal or that's that's the nature of corporate uh, of being the one that's many being represented. But here, Paul makes clear that even though Adam was the, the way that sin entered the world, that he is not the only one who is culpable. Sin entered the world and death came to all people because all sin. We are all equally as guilty of sin as Adam. Even though we didn't get to experience that moment in time before sin first entered. We all follow in our father's footsteps in his turning out, turning his back on God's command, rejecting his good promise, believing Satan's lies. We all sin. This sin is... Is in us, and it's something that we do all the time, isn't it? It's not just something that you can catalogue in external acts. It's not just kind of, well, uh, murder and stealing something. There's kind of external things, but it's it's internal to us. It's the way we think that's not aligned with God's way, and so. Paul goes on, he addresses maybe an objection people might have. Hey, what? Hang on, Paul. You say that sin came into the world through Adam and everyone sinned. But what about before before Moses and the law was given? Wasn't that a bit different then? And so Paul addresses this and he says, short, sin was in the world before the law was given. People were sinning then. But he explains in a kind of curious thing. He says, sin is not charged to anyone's account where there is no law. The law plays a crucial role. Adam had a clear law. God said, you may eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat from this one tree. Clear instruction. But after that, the Bible doesn't give us God's clear instructions for how people were to live outside the garden. And yet, people continue to sin. And that's where Paul starts to use some different words for sin here. Now, if sin is a kind of general term for failing to hit the mark, for failing to do what's right. But he starts to use some different words, like the word trespass, which means crossing over the boundary. Which is what you could do when there's a law. When there's a law that says here is the line, don't cross it, then you can cross over, trespass. You can trespass into someone else's property. You can trespass against the commandment. And later on, he uses in verse nineteen the word disobedience to talk about sin, where there's an explicit command we can fail by not obeying it. But he says before the the law came and there was a clear way for people to be be able to trespass, uh, sin was not charged to anyone's account. Now, I've been wrestling with this this week and thinking about what happened between the time of Adam and the time the law was given. That's the time when there was the flood and the Lord looked and saw that sin was Was out of control, and what did he do? He poured out judgment. He held people to account for their sin. There's the Tower of Babel incident. There's Abraham and the stories that follow his family and their sin and how God responds. And yet, sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. I. I don't think it's right for us to say God doesn't count sin against people before the law, as lots of people try and interpret this to mean. That there was, because there was no law, people didn't know what they were doing was wrong and so God goes easy on them. That's not what's happening. What I think makes more sense of what we see in Genesis at that time and what makes more sense here is that the law plays a role of helping people's sins to be Counted against them, not in God's sight, but in man's sight. To ourselves. If people were doing the wrong thing, there was a sense in which they were they were they were unable to kind of score themselves on how well they were going. They were unable to have a sense of how far short of God's mark they were falling without the clear instruction of the law. And so while sin was prevalent and God was not pleased and he still held them to account, he brought judgment against sin. Until the time that the law was clearly revealed and people could trespass a command, people weren't, reckoning their own sin or each other's sins with any sense of accuracy. And that's why later on he says in verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Notice this isn't so people become more sinful. God doesn't give the law so that people do more wrong. He gives the law so that people's awareness of their crossing over the boundary is greater. What they what is previously sin in the general sense can be sin in a specific sense of you've fought, you've fallen short, you've broken this specific commandment, you've disobeyed this particular rule. God wants people to be aware of their sin, to count their sin, to reckon with it seriously. Anyway, we need to get back to the the big picture here. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and sin and death come to all people. This is the reality. This is the corporate identity. One person representing all all humanity. But there's not just one man. There's two, two lots of one man. That's the great news that Paul is unpacking here. We have this poor representative, this representative of sin and death. And yet now, Paul is telling us that there's also another representative. One whose whose actions, whose representation is like Adam's in some ways, but different in other ways. Verse 18 draws out the comparison. Just as one trespass, Adam's trespass, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. But just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Paul offers an alternate representative a new representative one that's that's individual actions whose individual act of righteousness can bring life and justification for many we get this set up there's there's two representatives and in setting it up like this I think it's clear Paul wants us to see the comparison and to see ourselves in one of these one of these collectives doesn't he Though we ought to be in the in the crowd represented by Adam we're there naturally aren't we because of his sin and because of our own sin Paul offers us the hope of this new representative, Jesus, through his one act of obedience. You think, when did Jesus have one act, one obedience? Was his whole life an act of obedience? Continual acts of obedience? Yes, it was. He didn't just obey the Father once. He continually did. But I think particularly uh, Paul is referring to here that ultimate act of obedience That act in the garden where he said, not my will but yours be done. At the hardest point, the point where it would have been most tempting to disobey. Jesus obeyed. The book of Hebrews talks about Jesus' obedience being made perfect through his suffering. It's at this point where his obedience is clearly tested and it shines through, it stands up to the test. Jesus dies obediently in order to bring righteousness to many. In order that we, sinners, naturally under the headship of Adam, in order that we might be counted as his people, might be seen as perfect in God's sight, might not have the reign of death terrorizing us, but instead might live. With the hope of life. That grace reigns. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is this is one more angle that Paul is presenting on this great news. The gospel, isn't it? Though all of us, the whole of humanity should be counted under Adam. Jesus offers us a different head, a new head, a better head for us to be counted under. Now, just because you're here in church, I don't want to assume which representative you are living under a decision we all need to wrestle with, we all need to make. Even though Paul says here that Jesus's one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people, it's not, it's not automatically applied to all people. As we read in the other parts of Romans that we've seen, there's a response that we need to make in order to receive Jesus' one righteous act on our behalf. And that act is the act of believing. We've seen it clearly in chapter 3, haven't we? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. As you think about yourself in one of these camps, the difference between you being led by Adam, the failure, living in the reign of death, and you being part of Christ's people, in the reign of grace and life. The difference is whether you're willing to trust him. It's not whether you're willing to give 10% of your money away to the church. It's not whether you're willing to become a missionary and go to deepest, darkest Sydney to proclaim the good news. It's not whether you're willing to wear socks and sandals or turn up to church every week. Teach scripture in schools. Or be nice to the neighbor that's pain. It's not if you are able to get down on your knees and pray the Lord's Prayer every night. It's not if you're able to read through the Bible 16 times each year. The difference is whether you're willing to trust Jesus. That's it. It's because it's his act of obedience, isn't it? It's his act of righteousness that covers us all. So it doesn't matter how many times all the people in here read their Bible and become missionaries to Sydney and be nice to their neighbours, It's his righteous act that counts for all of us. That's how the headship works. And friends, that is, that's wonderful news, isn't it? Because I am acutely aware of how often I don't manage to get through the Bible 16 times each year. How many times I'm not Nice to my neighbor. How many ways I fail, and I'll be just like Adam. The judgment followed one sin, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's us. Not living in the kingdom of death, but the kingdom of life. Not living under our head of death, Adam, but living under our risen Savior, the conqueror of death. There's great news in... Letting go a little bit of our individualism, isn't it? We cling to it fiercely. We want to know where we fit into the picture. And yet the Bible offers us a hope that's based on not my individual achievement and work, but based on Jesus, based on being one of his corporate people. We still have to live as individuals. We still make our own choices all the time. But more and more, that should reflect. It should reflect our head, shouldn't it? If he's the one that we want to be under, we want to live under this, this reign of grace. If we're trusting in him as our righteous leader, then more and more we're following him. We're listening to him. We want to be like him. And we do that in all our individual decisions, not because it makes us one of his people, but because we already are, because we have this hope. Friends, I urge you to rejoice in being one of Christ's people. Being one of the the many. Don't Don't bristle against it. Thinking you need to assert your independence, your individuality, to stand before God on your own terms. Because just like Adam, we fail in our own terms, just result in death and condemnation. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for the new head, the new representative Jesus that you have provided for humanity. We thank you for his righteousness, for his obedience, and ultimately for his act of dying in our place. Please help us to rejoice and to be eager to take part under his leadership, to trust him, to represent us before you, free from the pressure of performing as individuals. Lord, we pray that you might make us more and more like him as we seek to live in the reign of grace.